one, two, five, nine. Father, preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder, what the hell? So I'm reading this book by John Caputo, who I really like. He's a radical theologian. He does theopoetics. I, I'm often very intrigued by him. Um, and he, this is a book he wrote very recently. It's called The Specters of God or Specters of God. Hmm. And uh, he's trying to work out like an apophatic um, uh, theopoetics, right? Like that that is um, – not interested in the kind of edifying side of negative theology or apophatic theology where like for a long time, like apophatic theology is really cool. We love to talk about it here. It's negative theology listeners. It's language where it's a way of doing theology in which we name what God is not. You know, we try to, we, we try to hide in, in the darkness, if you will, and, and right. remind ourselves that that God is sort of beyond what we can imagine and stuff. And, um, but the point of it, at least confessionally is to edify us. Like it's, it's not, it, it's this sort of chastising that is meant to bring us higher. We might say like bring us closer to knowledge of God and, and, and things like that. And Caputo's like, eh, what if we try to do apophatic thinking or apophatic, you know, theology or philosophy, that is just meant to get us in touch with our deep anxiety, <laughs> you know, over the, over the, the fragmentariness and the weakness and the fragility of being itself, you know? Um, and he does this by kind of working through different thinkers, right? So he, he talks about, he, he's trying to, he, he's telling us the story where he's tracing this, this line of thinking in a number of Christian thinkers that that is um, always bringing us back to a um, like like this this apophat this, this negative thinking this negative theology, um, and in particular he's he's touching on thinkers that he thinks have uh, get really close to this anxiety producing apophatism, um, but then like at the last minute kind of turn away from it. Right. Like he goes, Oh, why did you do that? <laughs> why did you at the last minute turn away? And, and it's really interesting. I really like it. He's got a great couple of chapters on Paul Tillich cause he loves Paul Tillich. And, and I'm always reminded at how despite Paul Tillich's philandering and some of the bad stuff that has come out since his death, like I'm always reminded at how um, gripping I find Paul Tillich's work you know, as he as in, in different things. But um, I don't need to talk about Paul Tillich because there are these little moments that I that I think that you would find interesting. Um, he has this really clever chapter and I call it clever because it's sort of brilliant. Like it's sort of to put these three thinkers together. I would never have thought to do it, but it makes sense. He has this really clever chapter where he brings in Aquinas, Meister Eckhart and Martin Luther. Hmm, And he whirls them together and he's like, can we find resources for like this apophatic thinking that is meant to get us in touch with our, that is not meant to edify us. It's meant to, to get us in touch with our anxiety. And he starts with Aquinas. This is, I guess, this is the chapter I'll tell you about. He starts with Aquinas and he says, usually we don't really consider Aquinas to be this like negative theologian. It's definitely there. He's like, it's definitely there. 
particularly at the end of his life where he like says all of my theology is straw and fuck it right. you know but but he wants to he for for um caputo he's like i think that aquinas's most interesting contribution to negative theology is in his angelology Ooh. okay i'm for the aquinas people out there who listen to our podcast i'm sure you're out there um <laughs> the forgive me <laughs> yeah the dozens and dozens of aquinas's fans um i uh, please forgive me because I'll, I'll probably butcher it I'm, I'm just trying to work with what caputo is saying so in his part of this chapter on Aquinas, he sees, he talks about Aquinas's treatise on angels. And Caputo's like, this is a really important thing that Aquinas does because Aquinas talks about angels in order for him to be able to talk about humans. Um, and so for Aquinas, angels um, pose something of a problem because, you know, Aquinas is working on the assumptions that angels are real. And that they are, you know, uh, both created beings with intelligence, but who also enjoy a sort of a constant beatific vision. Hmm. Is it beatific or beatific? I usually say beatific, but I it could just be beatific. I I don't know. I've never heard it said, and so I'll go with I'll go with you if you'd like. What did you say? Beatific. Beatific, like beatific. the beatitudes. Yeah, let's go with that. Beatific. Welcome. Welcome to the beatific vision. They're also immortal, which poses a problem, right, for Aquinas, because Aquinas, how do how do we what how do we make sense of all of that? You know, kind of in light of the system. And so Aquinas uh, offers that um, these sort of immortal, disembodied beings that are still creatures. <laughs> Somehow, uh, yeah. somehow um, and who enjoy like a direct communion with God um, are not intelligent, but Aquinas, according to Caputo, invents a whole new category that he just calls superintelligence. <laughs> um, and this superintelligence uh, is, is the sort of intelligence that angels have that um, allow them to commune with God, exist, contemplate, you know, do all of this stuff without um, uh, bodies. So, so sometimes Aquinas will call them, this is intelligence that is also pure form. Okay. Um, now, uh, I'm not going to uh, – Caputo doesn't spend a whole lot of time like just going line by line in this treatise on angels because he's trying to get to humans. And so he describes angels in these ways. And then Aquinas uh, goes, now, what is the difference between an angel and a human? What is the difference in their intelligence? How does – how why and why does that matter? And Caputo points out that Aquinas does something – really interesting here. He invokes superintelligence in angels in order to show how human intelligence or ra- or, or rationality is weak. Oh, okay. I mean, I feel um, like you could have done this without the angels, but okay. But I think, I think the reason why he uses the angels is to demonstrate like 
when we imagine intelligence, we imagine angelic intelligence. Yeah, fully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, and so I think that's why Aquinas conjures angels to show us this. Ah, but this is what we imagine intelligence is. But, but that's an intelligence that does not bear the same way on human beings. We imagine that we're intelligent like angels are, but we're not. We're not intelligent like angels are. We yeah. have rationality, and angels are not don't have rationality. Angels have super, have this super intelligence. Rationality is by its nature a weak intelligence. And weak, what Aquinas uh, I don't think Aquinas uses the language of weak. Caputo is Caputo likes that language, and and he and he pulls from Aquinas to kind of show that that's what Aquinas is saying. The reason why it's weak is that it is limited and fragmentary hmm. in a way that angel angelic intelligence is not. Caputo says that Aquinas, uh, you know, Caputo, Aquinas through through Caputo says um, angels know and see God, hmm. whereas humans with rationality have to make arguments. And, oh. and make constructions. That's the way we are intelligent. We are in because we're bodied. We, we are creatures with bodies. And so we're not intelligence that is just pure form, right? We are, we, we're intelligence that our kind of knowledge, our kind of intelligence is fragmentary because we are finite in a much different way than angels are. And so, and so weakness is already a part of who we are the moment we arrive and, and our ability to commune with God is marked by that kind of weakness. Hmm. For Caputo, Caputo wants to point out that this, this sort of negative element to Aquinas' thinking is interesting because Aquinas quickly jumps to, ah, but don't worry, like, the the savior still through in our flesh is able to lead us into the beatific vision through through our flesh and so through these weak you know limited ways we can still enter into a a a, a, a similar angelic vision of god hmm. but caputo would say that that's aquinas stepping away from the radical kind of apophatism that's there he's like because because caputo wants to say but wait a minute just keep thinking about how weak and fragmentary rationality is because that's really what Aquinas is saying. All things really are straw, vanity, vanity, all things are vanity. The highest form of human intelligence is still weak and fragmentary and might not lead us to the truth. Yeah. You know, uh, not just the truth about God, but the truth about anything. It might be too weak. And like and like that that might be too weak thing, that's what Caputo wants us to like what what would see as like Aquinas' contribution to like this anxiety riddled apophatism. Right? Okay. Where, where where we say we say, well, well, no, no, no. We want to jump to the positives. Caputo's like, stop, that's a jump. That's a jump that leaves behind the insight. Right. That says, despite 
our weakness, we can still achieve these great things. We can still achieve a vision of God. Caputo's like, mm, that's that part, that despite, that's debatable. What's not debatable <laughs> is our weakness. Mm-hmm. Our weakness is obvious. It's, it's just, it's what we live in. I find that really interesting. I'm going to keep talking and then yeah. I'd like to see what you think. He then goes to Meister Eckhart, who I love. I love Meister Eckhart. Um, every time I read things about him, I'm like, I should just read Meister Eckhart all the time, but I never do because um, <laughs> it's, it's complicated and hard. But, but he, uh, uh, Caputo spends time talking about Meister Eckhart's um, vision of divine and human union. Okay. And um, one of the things he does, uh, that Eckhart does, is Eckhart imagines, Eckhart says something that I think is quite correct, which is prior to creation, it would be a little hard for us to say that God is God. Okay. Because the name God is is relational yes yeah yeah you must be the god of something right and if we take seriously creation creation from nothing like eckhart does prior to creation god is not the god of anything because god because it's just it's just god it's nothing um and so eckhart has that famous line god save me from god (laughs) right like uh uh, that that that's a famous line from eckhart god deliver me from god um, oh, I uh, yes, I heard God saved me from God, and I was like, "No, no, that's new." Okay, no, that's not it. Uh, so, like, meaning like the the God that we, you know, maybe make up in an idol, or the God, even the God that we encounter in Christianity, um, you know, in in that sort of theistic way, uh, is um, perhaps not the real God. Yeah. And so Eckhart, when Eckhart imagines the union, divine and human union, his strategy, his theology and his sort of mystical strategy is um, a, a, uh, something of like a renunciation of the self in which he imagines that the goal for the human being is for the son of God to be born in the human soul. For, for human beings to sort of have a Trinitarian moment in which in which where where in the Trinity the Father begets the Son, uh, true union is when the Son is begotten in the in the ground of the human soul. And the reason why this is true is because the ground of the human soul for for Eckhart is of a similar um kind of ground as the ground of God. And so what this means for Eckhart is true union happens when we sort of bring our beings, both contemplatively and in our practice, back to the moment prior to creation. Hmm. In which in which God is no longer God in the truest sense, because remember, God is really only God in light of creation, and the human being um, is is not properly the human being anymore. Instead, the human soul 
dwells within the Godhead. That's the word he uses to describe the God beyond God, right? Like the, the, what God was prior to God. Um, And in that kind of, in that kind of uh, purity in which, in which the human has fallen, the creature has fallen away and the divine has fallen away. (laughs) There is a union in this, in the Godhead, in, in the, in the, the ground, he doesn't use ground, Tillich does, in, in that kind of purity, in that purity of whatever God, the Godhead is. Um, it's very, it's, that's not for everybody. It's very Neoplatonic. It's, it's all of this stuff. And, and for Caputo, Caputo's like, what I find interesting is exactly what Luther found interesting, which is, the God that is, you know, the God that appears in creation is the God of infinite love, mercy, justice, grace, all of the stuff that, that is revealed in the Christian tradition. But what is the Godhead? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is the God behind that, this purity? What is that? Now, for for Eckhart, Eckhart wants to say, you know, wants to assure us after he he talks like this for a while, he wants to assure us that it's peace. Okay. Don't, don't worry, it's peace. But Caputo's I mean, like, but Caputo's like, ah, but how do you know that? That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like sounds Caputo, nice. How do you know? <laughs> Caputo jumps on that. He's like, ah, but how do you know? What about what about rationality? What about the weakness of human knowledge? How do you know that the God beyond God is peace? Because, and Eckhart says this: the Godhead is beyond both rationality and revelation. Huh. Okay. Hmm. Now, Caputo then jumps to Martin Luther and says, Martin Luther gets closer to all of this than Eckhart does, gets closer to what he wants, what, what Caputo is looking for. Because Luther has this notion of the Deus Abscondus, of the hidden God. Um, and for Luther, the hidden God is... Um, uh, if, how does, how does he put it? So in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we know that God is full of love and grace and mercy and all of this stuff. And for those who have faith in that, that is how God is. That is who God is. That is how God has been revealed to us. But what about the underside of God? Hmm. What about the hiddenness of God that is not revealed to us as luther luther's like well do you really think that the entirety of the godhead is revealed to us in the crucified carpenter like really revealed and and everybody's like yeah luther's like false that is why the crucifixion is the place of divine revelation the crucifixion both reveals god in the face of the crucified carpenter and the crucified carpenter says this very strange thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who is Jesus fucking talking to? 
Great question. Great question. <laughs> Luther wants to know. Luther's like, who the fuck is Jesus talking to? I thought Jesus was just the revelation of God. Who the fuck is Jesus talking to? And and Luther would say, the hidden God. God in his hiddenness, the underside, the 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 you know that that part of God that is that is God, but is nevertheless the God that part of God that is beyond reason and revelation. Um, and for Luther, this God is not evil. The hidden God is not like evil and shrouded in darkness because of his evil. It's much much worse. This Perfect. God is this God is ambiguous. You know, because remember, we don't know <laughs> because it's beyond reason and revelation. And now Luther and Caputo's like, oh, we're so close. We're so close to it. And but now Luther um, has a parlor trick to get out of this, <laughs> which is faith. Um, <laughs> faith. Faith is the parlor trick to escape the anxiety of the hidden God, right? Um, faith is, is that which, which confirms in our hearts that the crucified carpenter is a good enough revelation of, of God. And that is the saving revelation. In other words, how we are saved is not dependent on our full vision of the entirety of the Godhead. Right. Um, and so Caputo's like, this is nice, but he still at the last minute escapes. He still at the last minute gets away because for, for Caputo, he just wants us to admit that if we take apophatism seriously, if we take this negative theology seriously and we, and we don't do what all of these negative theologians do, which is at the last minute turn to positive and just keep it negative. We discover that that God or the divine or the ground of existence or the unconditional is terrifying. (laughs) It's 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 threatening and awful and scary and 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 we do not have the ability to see it for what it is. It is the um, and he, this isn't his word. He uses other people in other parts of the book. It is the unprethinkable. It is, mm. it is the, it is that element to being that happens prior to speech, thought, and feeling. Well, if it happens prior to speech, thought, and feeling, we can't say anything about it. Right. Right. Um, he thinks Tillich does a really good job. He doesn't think Tillich is perfect in this way, but he thinks Tillich's theology is um, the first truly authentically post-theistic theology in mm. which Tillich does his best to get rid of theisms, right? To get rid of conceptions of God. Because remember, according to Aquinas, that's the only thing we know how to do because we're weak. Right. We, rationality makes constructs and arguments, angelic intelligence sees and knows right right um caputo's like tillich is able to get rid of theism and is one of the first the is maybe the first western theologian to do that directly 
and then die and then plunges into the into being and and reorients it and says god is the ground of our being is the ground of our existence which means that that in god are these polarities um or the tension of the polarities between like individuality and universality freedom and destiny um dynamics and form so like God is is uh, all of those things in God's depths, which means that there is a sense in which God is like the deepest parts of the ocean. Hmm. What is down there? Tillich goes, I don't know. <laughs> that's what makes it, that's what causes us to tremble, you know, in, in, in all of this. God is so, God, God is so deep and immense and and within the groundless ground of being are sort of the the dark and light forces of being um caputo once said uh caputo says in this book when he's talking about with Tillich, caputo's like um we do not say that we like the fire that keeps us warm but dislikes the fire that burns down our house Right. It's just one fire. Yeah. And until we can accept that, like, we'll, we won't fully understand what I'm getting at when I talk about what Tillich is getting at when he talks about the ground of being being ambiguous. Um, Caputo also says, and, Till and quotes Tillich on this, in the same way we get frustrated with religion. Like for Caputo, religion or for Tillich, religion is just that aspect of humanity that is meant to be attentive to the ground of being, right? To to the sources of our existence and 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 the the depths of our being. Um, and Caputo's like sometimes people get really mad when they're like, "Well, there's good religion and bad religion, religion that is violent and religion that is nonviolent." And Till and and Caputo's like. There's that fire thing again, where we say we like the fire that keeps us warm, but we dislike the fire that burns down the house. Religion is violent because religion is about the ground of being, and the ground of being is violent. Not because violence is God, but because being is full it's it's full of life and passion and and forces and and tests and overcoming and all of this stuff. And so it, we, we want religion to be that way. It's religion in part that caused say the black church to take the streets and demand civil rights. That's power. That's violent. That's, that's um, force. And yes, it's also religion that might cause people to want to go hang Mike Pence on January 6th. And that's bad, but but the solution isn't for this is Caputo talking. But the solution isn't oh well, religion must be bad then. No, if if when the left Caputo talks about this in the book, when the left says no to religion, they just say yes to the other things that get them in touch with the ground of being and fill them up with the same sort of forces that uh, the religious right is filled up with, not. Not because they're the same thing, but because these are the forces that make life happen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, 
Anyway, that's not really what I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about that chapter that I described those three things. What do you think? Oh, um, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot. (laughs) No, I'm trying to think of like, because usually I have the exact words I want to say first, or at least a place to start. And I, I can't figure out where to start. For me, this is the benefit of um, existential horror is it gives you a safe space to think about and be scared of and think through the consequences of what if God is neutral or what if God is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy that like that or ambivalent yeah that that idea that like the ground of the universe exists and does not give two shits about you is i think really appealing to um to our minds today like in light of the atomic bomb Mm -hmm. it feels really true to say like man if there is any creator, if there is any like deep ground to the universe, they don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you also get that sense. I have, I'm not fully caught up with old gods of Appalachia, but they do this kind of existential horror pretty well that like in these mountains that are older than bones is some type of deep, true ground of something And it is either neutral or bad. And we should take that seriously. I, there, I think there's something really important to asking yourself, what if God isn't good? Mm -hmm. Um, Or what if, yeah, like, what if God in God's self, like, is off doing whatever, or, or like, yeah, just does not care about us, does not desire a personal relationship with us, um, sent Jesus, but like could not give two shits about what happened. You know, like I, that type of divine abandonment, I find really fruitful because it, sorry, thinking about that kind of divine abandonment, I find fruitful because it like goes to my deepest fears. <laughs> it goes to like, the the parts of me that's like well i mean we should just give up right like this is what i'm hearing is that like nothing matters um and in that giving up i find a resilience i find like a practice part of me that is like well but i still like tomorrow there will still be people who my heart is pulled towards that i must care for and kind of regardless of all of this i can do that tomorrow you know um and that's like the christian formation in me that's I mean, that's probably also like parts of like my personal personality and things mm-hmm. but um i i always i don't always i do find myself in like those existential moments but like in order to function in the world you do have to pull yourself back from that ledge right mm-hmm. i think I, I think we all benefit from long, dark nights of the soul. Um, I think the edgy among us think we've already been through them until we actually get there for real. And then we're like, oh, this is what this is what it looks like. Right. Um, thinking of like Insidious again, like that movie was so scary when you're seeing like the big bad in these kind of glimpses and you're like, oh, oh, it's not like 
you're you're not just seeing like kind of maybe this is part of a person and we're going to see the person later or whatever it's actually like truly a scary thing like if it jumped out at you you'd be like well um and then you see the thing itself and you're like uh okay you look weird you know like you got the weird tail you you look you look a little dumb and it's better when you're only seeing those glimpses mm-hmm. um i think that they're part of the benefit of um sitting in these dark places is you're no longer there's no longer the the jump scare it is oh i know what this is i've seen this before i know to look for the ghost standing in the corner like i can handle it i yeah i think there's value to that but do i think that like that helps us produce fruit do i think that that encourages us at the graveside do i think that like I want to bring that into Easter or Christmas. Well, that's, that's a very different question. I think, I think it can be soul forging in an important way. Um, But I don't think that it's, it's, it's not how I'm going to like ground my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think it is for me either. Um, uh, But I'm, I'm really, I'm really, I'm glad you said all of that. I'm really interested in this too, right? Like I'm interested in the way in which, you know, a a real like contemplation of my fragmentariness and my weakness and all of our fragmentarinesses and weakness sort of fail us, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. fail to get to um, the truly true Um, And so we now have to consider, oh, well, the stuff that grounds all of this is deeply ambiguous precisely because we've failed to know what it is. Right. Um, uh, And that's, I think, Tillich's point. Like Tillich sees, Tillich's sort of transformation of theology, pardon me, of, of like taking God and saying, no, God is actually the ground of our being, that there, God is not found in and among us necessarily, and God is not found above us, you know, if we're using spatial language. Instead, God is submerged, right? Like there's yeah. a, there's in the deeps. Like when, I think what makes that interesting is Tillich would just say, because Tillich was a Lutheran, Tillich, uh, you know, Tillich just says, oh, this is just my way of doing what the Bible calls smashing idols. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, because our constructing of God, right, like our theistic constructions are idols, you know, every time. Um, they might be, now Tillich makes room for what he calls the symbol. And so for Tillich, like, us, the symbol of God, you know, that, that, is, that, the, that Christianity sort of produces um, is good only insofar as it participates in the power of the ground of being, right? Like Tillich might say, Tillich might say that the God produced by the Nazis, and he would say this because he was against the Nazis, but like Tillich might say that the God produced by the Nazis is not a symbol of the ground of being. It's a symbol of power or a symbol of white supremacy or a symbol of, you know, uh, violence in this way, right? Political violence or whatever. Um, This is what prompts, like, say, like a a James Cone, who loved Tillich, 
to say, no, the white God is not God. It's just merely a symbol of whiteness. Right. Whereas, you know, the true God, the black God is a symbol of the power of being. It's a symbol of, of, of the ground of being. And only black people can really see that because black people have been killed and abused by idols of God for our, for, for hundreds of years. And so we are very familiar with idols. <laughs> we know we can spot right. an idol when we see one. Um, I think all that's really cool. Um, and, but, but then again, Caputo would jump on me if he were here and say, stop trying to make it useful. Right. <laughs> stop making it, stop trying to make it like good in any way, shape or form. Just let it be what it is. Yeah. Let, let it be this, this thing. Don't let it edify you. Right. Because, right. you know, the hidden God, the deus abscondus of Luther, the underside of God, the, the, the groundless ground of being, all of these things um, are, uh, we have no way of knowing them because they're prior to knowledge. And so, and our knowledge is too limited. And so accept that, you know, and I think that's, I think there's wisdom to that, but I also think you're right. Like, yeah, I can accept that, but then, you know, as a person of faith, then what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I move forward um, having accepted all of this? Uh, and Caputo, I think a lot of times would just shrug and be like, well, by plunging yourself into the world and recognizing that this mystery of, of the ground of being is good and important and good to contemplate, but, but is ultimately not a thing that um, is the source of our, of our action in the world anyway. Caputo Caputo's constructive argument is what he calls an end of ontology, what instead he calls a hauntology, <laughs> where he where he argues that we should see the the unconditional, you know, what Tillich calls it the unconditional, the ground of being, and other philosophers call it the unconditional. Where Tillich where, where he's like the unconditional, this this event that we name God um, is more like a ghost. It's more like something that spooks us rather than something that um, sort of uh, anchors us in the world. Uh, Tillich's prop, like Caputo's like, my one problem with Tillich is the language of ground. Yeah. You know, Caputo's like, I think Tillich is right about almost everything. I love Paul Tillich, (laughs) but um, the unconditional does not, ground us at all uh and he's like even that is even even Tillich's use of ground is a little bit like Tillich turning away at the last minute hmm. you know oh it's a ground yeah it allows us to stand Caputo's like nothing gives us the ability to stand there's nothing to stand on yeah well I'm like that's the to me, one, that is profound. I think it's important for us to, to think about that and realize that and not move past that too quickly. I'm going to move past it really quickly right now, though, and say that like that's where what he talked about with Luther makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. That like in the face of this kind of unknown, in the face of having nothing to stand on, um, in the face of gosh, the, the complete unknowability of what undergirds truly the universe. What, 
you have to decide what you're going to do. You mm-hmm. have to decide what you're going to believe. And that's what makes it a belief, right? Rather than something that's provable, rather than those fucking billboards on the highway with the baby's face that says there is proof for God. Like, actually, I don't, I don't need there to be proof because there isn't and there can't be. And therefore, I have to wake up and say, today I'm going to choose to believe that love undergirds everything. Today I'm going to choose to believe that like my call toward building building a good society and to caring for my neighbor is actually a sacred call. Like I am going to choose to believe that this is sacred, that caring for others is sacred. Um I'm going to choose to believe that like in my limitedness, I am still cared for and loved. Like Mm -hmm. there is nothing to tell you that these are uh, factually true things. These are things you all have to choose. You have to choose to believe. And sometimes you have to choose to believe them daily, but like that is, that's the important thing. I think that that's something I could, we could never have this conversation in church. No, no, <laughs> no, we can't. That's the thing is like, I, something that I really needed was somebody, especially when I, when I was doubting was somebody to say, no, like we don't, we don't know, but this is what we're choosing to do. We are choosing together to believe that this is worth saving and we are going to work toward that salvation because we are choosing to believe that we are already free from the powers that held us. When we are going to go forward as if that is true, because that is our faith. That is what we are choosing today. That's what is we have chosen to believe. Like that is what faith is. I grew up all the time thinking that faith was knowing these exact steps and knowing the exact right thing to do, that faith was this magic trick. But actually, faith is knowing there's nothing at all to tell us that this is the right thing to do, but we're going to choose to do this anyway. Hmm. Right, right. It's how we see the world. There's. Yeah. I have two more things to say about it in relation to you from this book. Um, Caputo loves the, the philosopher Derrida. I tried to read Derrida in, in my class on hermeneutics with Larry yeah. Bouchard, and I almost uh, decided to just become a nun, you know, or, <laughs> or a monk somewhere. I'm like, I'm done. I don't understand this, and I'm not going to keep trying. But Derrida, Jacques, he's French. Jacques Derrida, yes. Yeah. But Derrida has this notion of the of undecidability. Yes. Uh, not indecision, but undecidability, and so that that the state of undecidability is like the state of the unconditional Mm. where, where now we have to, you know, that there is undecidability means that there must be a decision. Now, if there was no undecidability, there'd be nothing to decide. Um, Which I think is is interesting. The book, uh, uh, Caputo's book spends a lot of time with Schelling, the philosopher Schelling. Mm-hmm. Tillich really liked Schelling. He wrote his dissertation on it, but he spent, but, but Caputo spends a lot of time with Schelling as he makes his argument. And one of the things that Schelling says that I've decided I'm going to start using because it fits. It's what I think too. I've been convinced by it is um, in a lecture Schelling, you know, once said, and it made it into the book that was from the lecture was when somebody asks him, you know, is there a God? Uh, Schelling's response is, we don't know yet. Yeah. You know, because, because we just don't know yet. It hasn't, it hasn't ended. 
the only way we'll know if there's a God is when it all is over. Um, but prior to that, we, we just have to, we just have to do stuff. We just have to do it. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, I think that, uh, I think that this is right. Right. The answer is, well, I don't know yet. I don't know if there's a God that is, as you said, and I think what Luther would say is that's the sort of the point of faith. The point of faith is, is a, is that we are, stepping out in a world where God is pretty clearly absent. Yeah. You know, and instead we are living as if there is a God in an important way, but, but that's, we shouldn't see that as like living a lie. That's not really what it is. It's living by faith. It's understanding that even though God appears to be absent, we can see the world and live in the world in such a way that 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 the reality of God can be real. Caputo would say, um, "This is the maybe of God, the may being of God." Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is God real? Perhaps, maybe, he could be. You know, and and why Caputo says. Um, God is, it insists rather than exists. God, God insists on us something. And, and God's reality is then contingent on whether or not we respond to that insistence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which I find interesting. But yeah, I like all of that. I, I read that chapter on, and now I haven't gotten this part in the book, but Caputo later on in the book suggests that Aquinas's angelology fuels the background for a lot of our philosophy on AI. I think that you have mentioned this, and I, I am very intrigued to see how this happens. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to go. I'm mostly, I'm not terribly interested in stuff like that. And so, like, I don't, I'm going to read it and I'll see what Caputo does with that. But uh, I can sort of see what he means right now. Like, yeah, like we imagine AI as this sort of disembodied intelligence, right? This intelligence that is um, when computers speak to each other. <laughs> well, I'm already using a bad metaphor, right? When computers communicate with each other, they communicate in real time. You know, they communicate immediately. There is no mediation we might we might imagine. And, and uh, Caputo calls... Uh, Aquinas's angelology, sci-fi, you know, science fiction. <laughs> sure. Uh, in that same way, I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know how that's how that's going to go. But I, I think I do see his point in relating sort of superintelligence to rationality, right? Yeah. Like Aquinas needing to invoke the intelligence that we imagine we have, and then say mm, that is not properly our intelligence. We do not know and see God. We don't. We construct and make arguments. Um, Knowledge of God and the vision of God is not something that rationality does. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, But anyway, there you go. That's what I think. Cool. I'm into all this. What's the name of the book again? Specters of God specters of god yeah i will 
maybe look this up. I have so many books. I need to I read them all. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad that it allowed me to like make a faith statement that feels very honest to me <laughs> rather yeah, than yeah. faith statements that I have proclaimed in the past. So yeah, this was good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, I'll sign us off. Friends, thanks for listening. It's been a mini episode of What the Hell's a Pastor. We are Spanks, Reebok, and The Dude, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples Podcast Network. Our theme song is written by Joe Shomolf, performed by Joe Shomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. (laughs) You're so mean. Why is everybody so mean to me? My Uh, nose ring is still healing. I'm vulnerable. uh Uh-huh.